um, do it. Do that thing you need to do. I mean, you have that idea, go chase it down. Go, uh, go learn what you need to learn to get it done and get it done. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups and seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where we help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com and we're always here to help. Now today we have another great guest on the podcast and it's Gabriel uh, Cavasso, is that right? Bosses. All right. And I was worried I was going to mess it up. And then I'm like, I, I asked you before the we podcast, just went over. I'm like, <laughs> I overthought it. But uh, just a quick introduction to, to Gabriel um, is so he joined the army at 17 and uh, at uh, 17 because his parents wouldn't let him join a combat unit and um, went into more of intelligence analytics, then went off to uh, Texas State University, um, was kind of a bit more of a party school, only made it through a bit of a semester, went back to the military, did that again, um, and uh, I think worked with I think financial fraud dealings, if I remember right, but I'll let you fill that in. And also got a bit into onto the coding side. So started to do a bit of programming um, and got so good that he kind of ended up working himself out of, out of a job or replacing himself. Um, and then uh, went and worked into in Iraq for a period of time or a person he worked with went to Iraq and then you followed along or followed along with their uh, worked on, uh, I think it was uh, tracking equipment for a period of time came back and or during that time had a friend that died from a motorcycle accident and part and you'll get into that a bit more but out of that kind of had the idea of why don't they have something similar to OnStar but for motorcycles and so after you came back um, and doing or after uh, serving in Iraq for a period of time continued to learn coding build up that also went to work for a bit of AT&T and then uh, as AT&T as he got hit with COVID and whatnot decided to uh, focus full-time on uh, OnStar for motorcycles so with that much as an introduction, welcome on the podcast, Gabriel. Uh, thanks for having me. So I gave kind of the the brief, high level, quick or quick walkthrough of your journey, which never does it justice. I was so going to say brief. Is that <laughs> as what you call it? As brief as I can make it. You have a lot in there. It's a lot to unpack. But, I mean, uh, it sounds like you wrote down everything from the initial interview <laughs> and just repeated it verbatim. That's right. I, I, hey, I, if if nothing else, I, I, I have my, I have my introduction, and I want to make sure that I stick to the the facts, so I don't make anything up. So, but maybe yeah. with that, let's go back to you know seventeen, joining the army, and kind of how your journey started from there. Yeah, so I grew up in a small town in rural West Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a three thousand person town. Uh, for the longest time, we had the smallest Walmart in the nation. Uh, it closed at nine, and a couple years ago, they just got uh, refrigerators in there. So now they sell the coldest beer in town. <laughs> All right. That's, that's their claim to fame. Um, but yeah, I, I was uh, going to high school there. Was, there was really not a lot of options. I saw a, a lot of kids that were um, older than me joining the military just, to, just as a chance to go do something and, and see something other than uh, cotton fields. Um, and so I did the same thing. Um, I was 17. My, like you said, I, I wanted to join a combat MOS and um, my parents wouldn't let me. Because <laughs> when you're 17, uh, they have to <laughs> sign off on it. 
Uh, so you, so up, that's what I was going to ask. So I didn't know if you even could serve in a combat unit at 17, but if you have your parents sign up for permission. If your parents say yes, if, you, if your mom writes you a permission slip, then yes, you can <laughs> serve You can serve in a combat MOS. But your mom wouldn't write you, wouldn't write your permission slip, so then you decided to go into intelligence. Is that right, and analytics? Yeah, I was an intelligence analyst for um, almost a decade. So now you did intelligence analytics for a period of time and, you know, and sounds like it would have been a, a fun or exciting. And then you, I think you said, and it would correct me where I'm wrong and always correct me where I'm wrong, but then you, at some point you went to Texas state university and did that for at least a semester and then kind of came back to the military. Yeah. So I was in the, I was in the Texas national guard. And um, at that time I was planning just to like, just do my weekend, uh, uh, by, by one weekend a month and by two weeks a year, just go to college. Um, and while I was in college, uh, I went to one of the, the biggest party schools in Texas. Um, and I only made it a semester before uh, I was on academic probation. And I was like, you know what? Um, the Army's got some really good jobs out there. Let me see what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And so from then on, I just, uh, I spent most of my time on um, like active duty reserve. So I would just uh, do my normal job just as a as an active duty soldier for the National Guard. Cool. So so now you you know tried univer- or tried school said okay, parties partying is too much of a temptation. I'll go back to the military. That's a great place. I enjoyed it and it was a good opportunity. Now when you went back, you got into I think it was financial fraud or, or issues dealing with their financial fraud unit type of thing. Is that right? Yeah, I worked for. Um, the Texas Military Counter Drug Division, um, and uh, my job there was uh, financial crimes. I was a financial crimes analyst um, looking for money laundering and embezzlement, um, those kinds of things. Uh, and and this was kind of my first foray into really just sitting down and having a mountain of data in front of me. Um, and when I say a mountain, I mean literal stacks of paper that I scanned into the computer and then from there uh, went and uh, analyzed those bank accounts uh, by hand. Uh, it was a very time-intensive process. So now um, I think because it was a time-intensive process, what you mentioned before is you got into a bit of coding in order to make it more efficient and then in the end it ended up making it so efficient you worked yourself out of a job? That's, that's exactly what happened, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I wanted to not do uh, as much scanning uh, but it turns out that was part of the job that was just absolute necessity. Mm. Uh, that was the one part that did take a long time. But once it was there, I didn't have to go through each file, find the, um, uh, find the, you know, all the statement numbers, move them over and, and put them into an Excel sheet. Uh, I eventually used a, um, a ocular character recognition software to pull all that out and then um, used a, a VBA program uh, mm-hmm. which is like the, the backbone of like um, Excel and uh, Access uh, and those kind of Microsoft products uh, and was able to automate that entire process and then apply um, an obscure mathematical formula I had heard about in a stats class one time called uh, Benford's Law, hmm. which is the idea that in a random data set, the number nine should appear, um, uh, should, should appear the least. Um, and if you, the thing about financial crimes is uh, anywhere over uh, money coming into your bank account 
anywhere over $10,000 needs to be reported. Um, but you can get around that by putting 9,999, 9,772. Mm. Um, and that's called structuring and it's also a leap. <laughs> and so uh, this, uh, this law, you know, when applied to that data set, uh, worked to find, uh, hey, is, this, is there money longer in here? Is there structuring here? Um, and uh, it didn't always work. Sometimes I, I'd done all the work for nothing and sometimes it did work. Um, I mean, some, I mean, sometimes there was money laundering. Sometimes it wasn't. It did always work. Mm -hmm. uh, within that, was, so you, so you got the, you did the, you know, figured it out. So it sounds like once you figured out that formula, my guess is is you're now looking whether or not you know there's enough nines, whether or not there's irregularities to where hey, every other deposit I make is nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars or nine thousand nine hundred ninety eight dollars or whatever it is, and you're able to start to detect or uh, determine patterns. But in the process, because you can now train the software or have the software look for a lot of what you were doing manually, it started to flag those out and there wasn't as much need to do it manually. Is that about right? Yeah. Well, um, like I said, this is my first foray into tech. So I didn't milk it like I should have. I should have just let them think that I was working <laughs> like just as hard as you I should have just said, look at how awesome I am at my job. I can do all this and I'm, I'm awesome at it. And then you don't, then they never know. Yeah, I, I should have just let them think I, I was still buried under that mountain of paperwork and like watch Netflix in the back. Like <laughs> that's that's what I should have done. What I did do was say, "Hey, look at this cool thing I made," and they were like, "Awesome! This is really cool." Turns out we don't need you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's great. Now we can save money. And guess how we're going to save money? We're going to let you go. Yeah. Um, so, now, so, so now that occurs and you say, okay, I did, a, I did so great of a job. I no longer have a job. So now what, did, so how did you, where did you transition from there? Uh, from there, um, the commander of the unit that I was in uh, was going to Iraq. Uh, she got pulled for the assignment and I got tapped on the shoulder to go with her. Hmm. Um, and it was going to be my first deployment. So uh, I took it. That was 2017. Um by the time we, we had gotten to Iraq with all the training up and everything, it was a, a year and a half in, in the process. And so, you know, I get to Iraq and now I have these skills, you know what I mean? I know I can, I can code, I can, I can do a little bit. I, I know, I, you know, everything I knew, I, I learned from Google. And so I'm like, <laughs> anything that I need to know in the future, I'll probably just Google it. Hmm. Um, which is uh, something nobody told, ever told me about tech. Like, Hey, you ever heard of GitHub? Like <laughs> the yeah, so I get to Iraq and there's a lot of um, of processes that can be automated. And I hit the ground. Um, we saw what the, the other guys were doing, um, and a lot of it was going to be the same kind of work that I had already done previously, um, using ocular character recognition to strip everything out and um, you know build a data set and then move that data set into a visualization. Hmm. Um, so now, so you were, you were continuing to basically, you know, you almost self-taught coding because you, uh, out of almost a desire to make it better on the previous position you had, you go over to Iraq and you kind of take that same mentality of, Hey, there's a lot of processes that I can improve things that can be done better and they can often be done via software. Now, 
or help me remember in the mix of all that, you know, you had your friend that had the motorcycle accident. Was that why you were in Iraq or was that when you got back or kind of how did that overlay and, and play into everything? Yeah, that was while I was in Iraq. One of my soldiers passed away um, in a motorcycle accident. And um, I didn't, uh, it didn't really click in my mind. I, I just knew that this was something that had happened. And I, I knew it was something that frequently happened uh, to soldiers. Um, and uh, upon returning, I found out about the circumstances of his death. And, you know, I was like, man, uh, there's, there's got to be something, right? There's got to be something out there that stops this from happening. There's got to be something out there that, that calls, um, you know, that calls EMS when there's a crash, like, like OnStar, like OnStar for motorcycles. And I just, I started rolling and, um, I, you know, I started doing my research and I'm like, why is there, why is there nothing out here? And it seems so simple. And, and whenever I, I talk about what I do now, um, most people are like, wait, that didn't exist. And I'm like, that's what I said. Yeah. Exactly. You know, it's one of those that makes logical sense. You're like, okay, you know, you have them for cars. If you get in an accident, you have an issue, you know, you can, it'll detect the, the accident and it'll automatically call 911 and let them know of your, um, your, um, location and kind of, you know, that something's occurred and that they should respond, but it also makes sense. You know, motorcycles is one where you don't have necessarily the, you know, it's, it would be different in the sense you'd have to do different sensors or figure out a different way to detect it um, because you're not going to have the same, you know, front impact sensors you might have and how that would go. So in one sense, yeah. it definitely makes sense why you'd want it. And yet also why they may not have put that together. So you kind of had that, uh, you know, that idea, that epiphany. Now, did you start to work on it? Did you put it or, you know, hold it off for a period of time or kind of as you as that came up and you had your friend that had that experience, how did you start to, to do or blend that in with what everything else you had going on? Well, when I came back in, in 2018, um, I, I had, had this idea um, and I had ordered some parts. I had ordered um, a microcontroller and uh, some drone sensors um, and like a GPS chip and those kinds of things. I was like, I think these are kind of the things that I'm going to need to build this. I don't know how they work yet, but I guess I'll figure it out. Um, and just as a hobby, I started I started tinkering with this until I had um, built my proof of concept, um, you know, and, and was able to attach it to a motorcycle battery, and it runs itself, and it and it works, uh, and it and it spits out the data that that I needed. Hmm. Um, and I was like, okay, what do I do now? And I I, I kind of put it on hold. Because at the same time that I'm doing all of this, I started doing stand-up comedy. <laughs> oh, that's that's a fun or a different direction. So you're doing one one hand, you're working on a um, on star for motorcycles, and then you're also getting a, a stand-up comedy um, career going. And what what made you decide that you know what made you decide to go into stand-up comedy? Was just always something that sounded fun, or something that you're passionate about, or what? How did you kind of get into that? I think that I had um, uh, I had something to say. You know, I felt like I had I, I thought I thought I was a pretty funny guy, uh, and I felt like I could um, provide some really interesting insights about uh, specifically about the military. That's what most of my jokes were about. Mm. Um, uh, but I also uh, through that I kind of saw some. Some issues in the comedy world and I set out on solving those and I started a comedy company 
Uh, and that was kind of my focus after I had already built uh, the first Rex device. Um, and I just, I ran with comedy for a year, um, well over a year until um, COVID. And then that's when I, I picked it back up. And uh, I was like, well, this is this cool thing that I built and I've got nothing but time since I've been laid off. Um, and uh, you know, why not, why not chase this down? Um, and, and at the same time that, that I'm chasing Rex down, um, an opportunity presents itself in comedy. And, you know, a couple of months later, I'm a comedy club owner as well. Hmm. So you, you actually, as a, as COVID hit and that, you decided you would acquire a comedy club and uh, have that as an opportunity, assuming things open back up. And then during the meantime, while COVID's kind of shut that down or in-person things, you would uh, focus on the OnStar. Am I reading that right? Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly what happened. While everything was shut down, it kind of, uh, it was, Rex was the, the sole focus and I was able to make all the progress that I could. Um, you know, I, I hired, uh, I hired the right individuals to um, take my, my soft, my hardware prototype and, and start making that a real commercially viable thing. Um, and, you know, hired the right software team to start fleshing out my idea into something that can actually be usable and, uh, you know, interact with a, with an app. Like, um, hmm. and uh, at the same time, you know, everything's everything's still shut down. Um, and then um, one of my old comedian friends uh, says, hey, I'm going to start doing shows again as things start to trickle open. Um, and he wanted to use my company's name. And uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, I've just got a bunch of followers sitting out there um, waiting for comedy. As, as far as I'm concerned, you know, the, the comedy scene had grown so quickly here. Uh, it was already awesome. And then, you know, there's this huge influx as more and more uh, comedians moved here. And so we just kind of rode that out. Um, and he started growing our, our, our shows. You know, all of these were local bar shows, you know, um, bars and venues would bring us in to provide comedy on Wednesday and Tuesday nights. Um, and, and that was it. And then all of a sudden um, in November, the uh, Creek in the Cave in New York, which was very beloved uh, by the scene club, uh, shuts down because they couldn't handle COVID. Um, and uh, my, the guy that I had running the comedy company, his name is Marty Clark. He uh, reaches out to her and says, hey, you want to move to Austin? <laughs> and so we raised, we raised money, I mean, basically overnight, we raised, um, uh, $400,000 in um, two weeks and we're able to make this comedy club happen. So now, so you've now got on the one hand, you've got the comedy club and on the other hand, you've got OnStar for motorcycles. So kind of now bringing it up to, uh, to today, are you continuing to pursue both, you know, is both of us a passion or, you know, is, is comedy open back up? Is comedy clubs open back up? Or if you still have a good de a degree of free time such that you can uh, pursue OnStar kind of, what is the mix or kind of where things at for you today? Um, the mix is very much, uh, Currently, the, the, we just had our opening weekend uh, last weekend. Mm. Uh, it went great. Um, and as you know, everything's running smoothly. I, I barely have anything to do there. I'm mostly standing in the way. Uh, um, 
And so it's uh, it's been a huge relief to not have to worry about that anymore now that we're open. Um, and, you know, going forward, everything that I do, I, I usually spend my days, you know, wake up really early, um, you know, go, go fix something at the club. Um, and then sit at the club and uh, on my laptop, just sending emails, and which is most of what running a business is, <laughs> sending emails hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, uh, getting quotes back and, and working on uh, our testing plans and, and our product development pipeline and uh, our manufacturing, uh, how, all, how all the pieces are going to play together. Um, so Rex has definitely been uh, a huge focus for me. Um, and then comedy is, is just, it's just so much fun, man. It's so much fun to be around. How, how could you stay away? Mm. So, so now that kind of, so it sounds like to, to a degree, you know, you're still part of the comedy club, you're still doing that. Um, but it allows you to also focus on, um, and go, or, you know, continue to develop the OnStar for motorcycles. So now kind of looking towards the future, you know, now you're saying, okay, this is where I'm at today. This is where I'm headed. Kind of, you look at the next six to 12 months, where do you see things headed? Is it more of the focus on the OnStar? You'll get that out in the marketplace going. Is it already out in the marketplace? And same thing in the comedy club, kind of where do you see that balance or where do you see things headed? Uh, you know, I don't uh, concern myself too much with what's going on at the club. Um, you know, it's I'm just there because I'm the guy that knows how to use a drill the best. <laughs> <laughs> I know how to I know how to I know how to use a drill uh, and a and a saw. I can I can fix things. Mm. I'm a pretty handy guy, so I that's what I get used for in the mornings. Um, and then we just have we also have a great high school notes just to be around um, and be able to really focus on what's going on at Rex. So in the next uh, six to twelve months, we'll definitely be on the market. Uh, we are um, knocking it out in our development process right now. Um, we're going to be going into crash testing uh, in the next couple months, uh, just waiting to clear legal, and uh, and we're ready to go. We'll have our uh, testing prototypes on bikes and, and get our betas out uh, before August, and um, we'll see how that goes and, and get all that testing done, and then November December, you know, try to get our product out right in time for the uh, the Christmas season. Oh, cool. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's just for our direct-to-consumer um, side. Uh, we also secured a uh, small business innovation research grant from the Air Force. Uh, and so we'll also be contracting, um, building this out for them. Well, sounds like plenty of things that keep you busy and uh, keep you motivated. So that's awesome. Sounds like a lot of fun things ahead. Well, as we, um, you know, kind of catch up, kind of see where you're at today and also where you're headed, I always, you know, transition to two questions I always ask at the end of the podcast. So go ahead and jump to those now. So the first question I'd ask is, along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made and what did you learn from it? Worst business decision I made. Um, man. Uh... You know, I knew this was going to be on the quiz and I didn't study. <laughs> um, the worst business decision I made was um, initially, uh, I think what took me so long uh, getting uh, getting my focus back into Rex um, was trying to work with friends. 
and, mm -hmm. and trying to, you know, find friends that, that knew how to code better than I did and um, trying to be like, hey, can we sit down and maybe you can look at this bit of code that I wrote and, and see if I've got any problems here, like, because I can't figure it out. Um, eventually, uh, I, I realized, like, my friends are going to stop wanting to hang out with me. <laughs> like, so I stopped pushing them um, and uh, just really focused on, on teaching myself and uh, realized that, you, you know, in the first couple of months, it was, it was just me. I had a co-founder, um, but he had other obligations and, and couldn't be as present as he would have liked to. Um, and uh, through that, you know, I ended up doing everything. I, but now, because of that, uh, initially it was this huge headache trying to scramble to learn everything that I needed to do hardware-wise. And uh, how do I get a manufacturing quote? And how do I do all these things? And how, how, how do I get a patent? Like, hmm. um, you know, I ended up turning to Fiverr for a lot of things that um, I I couldn't, uh, I couldn't do myself. Uh, I, I certainly wasn't going to spend, it was all about the balance of, do I spend my time learning something and doing it? Or do I pay somebody to do it because my time is better spent doing something else? Um, and because of that, because I spent all that time learning because it was all me in that, in the beginning of this, hmm. I know this business in and out. You know, I, I did all the market research. I did all of the, I can spout the numbers at you uh, like the back of my hand, you know, I know it so well. Um, mm. so this thing that I thought was initially was a huge headache turned out to be, um, a great, uh, a great decision. No, that's always interesting, you know, especially when you're getting to a startup, small business, you know, at some point as you bring people on, as you, as it grows and expands, you know, you have to do that, but it's always great. As you start out, you have to have that kind of foundational knowledge of hey this is or isn't possible and you have you know able to understand hey this should take x amount of time or i anticipated doing that and if not you know you can kind of get a gauge for as you bring people on as you hire it out as you do other things you can get that found you'll have that foundation to work from and if you kind of try and jump past that foundation it's hard to really run and effectively run the business so i think that definitely makes sense uh, what you mentioned so now for the, the second question, which is, if you're talking to somebody that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what'd be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Uh, I did think about this question and the answer is um, do it. Do that thing you need to do. I mean, you have that idea, go chase it down. Go, uh, go learn what you need to learn to get it done and get it done. Hmm. And I, and I love that, you know, it's, it's funny is, and I, and I say it almost every time that I hear the answer because as many different people that talk to with as much different journeys, I would say that, you know, a variation of that answer is going to be the most common answer. And I think that's because everybody that does do a startup, does do a small business, they always find out once they get started, once they just dive in, they do it, how exciting or fun and enjoyable and rewarding it is. And if they, and always wish, you know, Hey, wish I got started earlier, wish I'd be doing this because it's just so, you know, I enjoy it so much type of a thing. And I'm, and that doesn't mean that it's not, hard and difficult and doesn't take a lot of blood, sweat and tears and nights and weekends and evenings and worrying and juggling lots of hats. But on the other hand, if you, you know, you get into it, you can much or much more quickly find that you love it and you enjoy it, or you're not cut out to it and you don't want to do it. But I think that that that's a great, uh, great takeaway. So yeah, well, I'm really wrap, excited to see, oh, sorry. Yeah. I'm really no, excited ahead. to see the, uh, the businesses that are coming out of COVID right now that started in COVID. 
mm-hmm. um, because I feel like you know a lot of people were uh, like me on unemployment and you know maybe had an idea rolling around and then started chasing it down because of that free time. And I think that there's going to be some really cool stuff coming out of the next few years. Um, you know, as as terrible as COVID uh, has been for everyone, um, there's uh, got to be uh, somebody out there that's going to make something great um, out of this situation. No, and I, and I absolutely agree. And I think it'll be interesting because I think COVID is one, giving people more time to think, ponder, look, review, and then also, you know, more time on their hands because they are, have been stuck inside, but also gives you an opportunity to say, hey, I, you know, I can do this, or I'm going to pursue this, or I have the time now to do it. Once I've always kind of made excuses or put on the back burner, and a lot of those excuses have been removed. So I, I think it will be an exciting time to see how it all evolves and how, how many startups and different startups come out of all of it. So I'm yeah, so really, I think it's going to be a really great time to be an IP lawyer. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll definitely always uh, take that because uh, that's uh, that's my love and my passion. So, well, as we wrap up, if you if people want to reach out, they want to find out more about you, your business, they want to be a they want they ride motorcycles, they want to be a customer client, they're an upcoming comedian, want to be your uh, be do a show at your club, they want to be an investor, they want to be a partner, they want to be an employee, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above. What's the best way to reach out to you, find out more, and connect with you? Uh, you can find us on all social medias at GitRex, W-R-E-X-X. Uh, you can find us at GitRex.com. Um, you can find the comedy club at uh, CreekandCave.com. Um, yeah, come by and see us. All right. Well, I definitely encourage everybody to check all, any and all of the above out. And I think the both, you know, both the comedy club sounds like a blast and the OnStar for motorcycles definitely sounds like um, a, a worthwhile and, re- and rewarding pursuit. So thank you again for coming on the podcast. It's been fun. It's been a pleasure. Now for all of you that are listeners, if you have your own journey to tell and you want to come on the podcast and be a guest, feel free to go to inventiveguest.com, apply to be on the show. Two more things as a listener. One, make sure to click subscribe in your podcast player so you know when all of our awesome episodes come out. And two, leave us a review so new people can find us. Last but not least, if you ever need help with your patents, trademarks, or anything else, reach out to us at Miller IP Law, and we're always here to help. Just go to strategymeeting.com. Thank you again, Gabriel. It's been fun. It's been a pleasure to have you on and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Uh, Thank you very much, Devin. It was good seeing you.